Welcome everyone to the Dream Builders podcast. I am super excited for this upcoming episode. I've been looking forward to this episode for a while because my next guest is very committed to following her passion and she really does something that matters in the world and I really love that. Now she's building social impact at a large scale and therefore I'm very excited to introduce to you Diana Zeng. Now Diana is the CEO and the co-founder of NeighborShare which is a rapidly growing direct giving approach that empowers our community's frontline heroes to help family through critical moments of need of $400 or less. Prior to that, she has spent 15 years in strategy and operations as an executive at Bridgewater Associates. Diana, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. And such an honor to be here today. Really excited. <laughs> cool, cool. So let's dive straight in. I would love to know, before we talk about NeighborShare, um, and your move from, let's say, corporate to, to what you're doing now, I would love to know what it is that you're so passionate about so that you can share that with our listeners. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think at the core of it, it's the thing you said earlier, it's about making impact, right? And then for me, and the, the personal reason why I got so excited about the neighbor share concept, it's, it's impact at a really... Um, tangible level, right? So even though we have great big visions for NeighborShare in terms of the scale we can reach and, you know, hopefully over time, it's like a vision that can reach every single corner of the country. But the thing that really matters to me, though, is like one person at a time, we're making a difference on the ground, right? Sort of like the, the, the and I'll, we'll, we'll go through the model in a bit, I'm sure, and whatever else, but sort of like the, every person who comes to our platform, a neighbor in need that gets helped, like, you know, it's hopefully something that mattered in a pivotal way for them. And that's what really matters to me at the end of the day, right? And so the thought that I personally might be able to play a role in that um, and to then do that at scale in a way that over time, it's not just one neighbor, but it goes from one to 10 to 100 to, you know, like at the, the compounding of that, like that's the thing that gets me up every morning and, and keeps me passionate about the mission that we're on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now, you say that, you know, that you wake up excited every morning to work on that, on that mission and that vision. Like um, when you were like working in uh, for corporate, for example, did you also have that passion inside of you or did you have a different passion? Like what was that kind of light bulb moment for you to change like your careers and, and, and you know, start as a founder and do something new? Yeah, I think um, I think the drivers are different quite frankly. Like, I think the thing that wakes me up every morning and gets me excited, it's like a couple of things, right? There's one, there's that burning urgency around the fact that there's just so many people in this country right now that just need help, right? Sort of one of the rallying cries that we use in NeighborShare is this, you know, really devastating Federal Reserve statistic that they publish out in 2018, 2019, that says 40% of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency. And then just think about COVID hitting that, right? Then it's sort of like that just launches the avalanche of all the needs that are out there. So there's sort of like an urgency that I wake up with every day of like, people need help today. Wow. <laughs> and the faster and more we can hustle, like the more we can help, right? So there's and that those, angle. Those numbers are impressive. Yeah, I mean, like, and once again, devastating, right? And so, so there's that. And then, you know, I think the other thing that wakes me up every day is sort of like, I don't know, like there definitely just feel, there's something different about building something of your own from scratch in like a fully entrepreneurial, like it didn't exist over a year ago. And now there's like a real organization with real momentum and whatever it is. And so I think that level of just real ownership and energy and just sort of like, like, and also this knowledge is a bit of pressure to this knowledge that like this thing won't exist without you. Like you are such a strong driver of maintaining that momentum, et cetera. I think that's like a different thing that also drives me differently. 
Um, and so then I compare that to sort of my my previous sort of um, roles and, you know, and I love my jobs, right? Sort of like, you know, the, the decision to jump into it was much more decision to leap into this passion versus like, oh, like I hated my old jobs. What was I thinking? Except it wasn't actually like that for me. But once again, I think the drivers were different, right? Like I think the drivers, there were much more about being just really attracted to the conceptual problems and goals in front of us. How do we go achieve those business outcomes? Just sort of like, just give it where my energy comes from, like this like strong pursuit of like, I wanted excellence and I wanted to build our company in a great way and, and, and like a, and in like a compelling, sustainable way, but just different, different drivers in the energy, right? Cause they are like sort of, I was one of many, right? Um, that, you know, sort of, sort of like, it wasn't as fully reliant on me, but I still felt a, you know, real responsibility for my area and whatever else. And then it's just compounded a thousand times when you're building something of your own. Right. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. I love the fact though, that, you know, that you also see that what, what you're doing is really like kind of a burning urgency to help other people. And it's really burning. Um, and, and that's what I really like. And also what you said, like building something from scratch, uh, totally new. I think there must be a lot of lessons in that. And I would love to talk with you also about that a little bit yeah. later in this conversation. Um, but what I, what I would love to know, like when you made that, um, I'm not sure if it was a leap for you to go from corporate to let's say entrepreneurship, but how was that move for you? Was that difficult? Was it easy? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I um, I like to characterize that move as like a total leap of faith. You know, like this was not like a, <laughs> hey, as I strategically planned my career out and I thought through, yeah. you know, like what, you know, what really happened was, um, you know, like NeighborShare started from a random call I got from my co-founder, this guy, Brian Kreider, who's one of my dear friends and mentors. And he literally called me spring of last year on a random Wednesday night, I remember. And, he, and, you know, and it was like at that moment in the world where, you know, our company at least had just sent us from home to start working from home. We were still saying hopeful things to each other like, oh, like we'll see each other back in the office in May or June. Like, don't worry. You know, like this can't possibly last that long. And then at the same time, I really also remember viscerally sitting safely at home, but watching the headlines start coming in about how even within just like a first few weeks of economies and communities shutting down, just sort of like the need that just like popped up like right away, right? Once again, the avalanche got hit. And so when my when my friend Brian Kreider called me with sort of like, hey, I've had this insight for a while that I've sat on that, you know, just given priorities and whatever else I haven't been able to really work with. But now that I'm watching sort of like the world around us, as we know, it start to fall apart already. I just feel really like a strong sense of energy and urgency to do something. Do you want to kind of jump in and let's pro like, you know, let's just figure it out. And like me being me, it's like 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm in. I love this concept. I love the idea of being able to do something to hopefully give back to our communities during a time that I frankly was starting to feel helpless. Like, oh my gosh, like what is happening to the world? I loved it and jumped in, right? And so, and that was, you know, we were still like at our full-time gigs doing the thing, but you know, within the first seven weeks or so had gathered like a small team of volunteers who were passionate about the concept of well, like had our website up and running and just started piloting and going, right? And then long story short though, as we continued progressing that from those initial couple of exciting months into like, okay, let, let's go deeper into this thing. Let's go figure out the model. Is it sustainable? Like let's work on the vision and whatever. I frankly just got, you know, more and more excited both about sort of like the possibilities. And then also um, I personally, frankly, also loved what the exercise was doing for me, right? Because it became actually an interesting um confidence building exercise as well in terms of like wow no like we can't i can't i can't do this like i can't build something from scratch like let's go let's go start a new movement that didn't exist before right and i love that and so um fast forward to the fall you know like neighbor was picking up steam and when it was like wait a minute diana you can't have your full-time job that's already really intense and you know now you're like building this new business as its ceo etc it was like it became like a 
you know, a very unexpected branch in the road for me, um, where, you know, it was a good decision on, hey, um, what should we do? Like, should we go out and recruit for a CEO to continue building this fledgling thing into a bigger thing? Or should I take a break from my career? Like, you know, and whatever else. And, and quite frankly, after a couple of weeks of soul searching and freaking out, right? Because once again, it was like completely just unexpected. I was like, whoa, like, wait a minute, like didn't expect it to come this way. Um, you know, I decided to follow, follow my gut a little bit right? Like I wasn't ready to let go of the reins. I really believed in, in our mission, in our path forward. Um, and once again, sort of like, um, it was like a leap of faith because, um, you know, it was sort of like a bet on myself too. Like I've gone through 15 years of like intense training as an executive. Let's go for it. Right. Sort of like what a great test, right. For mm. something that hopefully can matter in this society, in this community. And, um, and that's ultimately what I did. So I ended up, you know, taking, taking a sabbatical from from my job and I've really focused on um, you know driving and building neighbors here this entire past year and it's been quite the ride and just overall such a privilege like just just absolutely no regrets in terms of what what the adventure has been like wow <laughs> congratulations first of all <laughs> for, for taking that leap I'm you know I'm very cool that you're so wholeheartedly committed to uh, to that vision and the mission that you guys have with, with NeighborShare. Um, I think that's really uh, inspiring. Why won't you? Why don't you tell a little bit about that? About NeighborShare itself. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, so as you laid out so well in the beginning in my intro, you know, NeighborShare's mission is really all about helping neighbors in need through pivotal moments of $400 or less. Right. And so once again, that, that sort of the $400 was inspired by that Federal Reserve statistic of the, you know, mind blowing 40% of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency. And so we kind of started started out this um, whole organization with this question and this problem statement of how do we get direct help to the folks who need it the most in our communities? Right. And so the, the way we decided to do it in the key insider is our model is like, let's do that via the people who already walk with our communities and have that really intimate pulse on when and where need is happening. Right. And so that's why we really do it via empowering our community's frontline heroes. So think, you know, the case managers and social workers at nonprofits it could be teachers at schools. Over time, imagine NeighborShare even partnering with nurses at hospitals. Right. Like folks who once again, let's walk with our communities and just really know when need is arising. And so what we do is we partner with just really great nonprofits all over the country. And, um, you know, we work with their frontline staff to identify these moments of need. And, and when the needs sort of pop up on our platform at mbshare.org, you know, they're, they're validated needs. So like as a donor, you can have confidence that the person you're reading about is absolutely real. <laughs> the need that they have is absolutely real. And in fact, you have a third party person on the ground who is already also working hard to find them as many resources as possible. And so by the time the story reaches us, that need reaches us, it's oftentimes a condition of last resort, right? So like this is a need that's about to slip through the cracks because unfortunately the frontline here on the ground can only do so much with the resources around them, right? And so, and so that's what we do. You know, we provide sort of direct help to, to folks who, who need it in that particular moment. And we characterize the needs as pivotal needs because, um, you know, what we're seeing is that they're, they're, they're pivotal in one of two directions, right? They're either pivotal in the form of like, let's insert at just the right moment so that an emergency doesn't spiral into a crisis. Right. So one that shows up all the time that I like to use an example because it's so visual, uh, visceral is think of, you know, the, the single mom who runs into an unexpected $300 car repair. Right. For a lot of us, it's like that's like a pain. Like, oh, I got to go get insurance. I got to go whatever. It's a pain, but like it's fine. But, you know, for sort of, you know, for a family that's in a stable but already really fragile situation, that could be devastating. Right. It's the unexpected $300 car repair that you can't afford. 
which means all of a sudden you can't make it to work. And then if you don't make it to work for a week or two, all of a sudden you're at risk of not being able to make your job and losing your job, right? So you go from, wait a minute, I have my job, I'm stable, et cetera, to, you know, fast forward three weeks and I might not be able to make rent and my kids might be homeless. So it's sort of like, let's catch those pivotal moments and insert that resource and that, and that money right when you need it. And then the other type of needs that we really also help with, it's sort of like pivotal in the other direction of helping to remove that last mile barrier um, to help someone really make a step change forward and improving their lives, right? And um, I mean, this one just popped up in my inbox last week and it was just, um, it touched me so, I just remember it so viscerally. It was like this this um, 17-year-old uh, father, like a teenage dad who's, you know, really working to improve his own life situation and hopefully build a stable career for his family and his baby. And he was stuck because he couldn't afford the $125, right? So he needed $100 to get a security guard training certification for him to become a security guard. And he also needed the $25 to just get the bus ticket back and forth to go to that training. That blocker, right? It's like $125 for a lot of folks. That's not a lot of money making tangible impact where as soon as as soon as that kid really although this young father got that resource he was able to really open a new gate for himself to improve his life and his family's life right and so those are the types of needs that we really work very closely with our frontline heroes to identify and then you know working with our donors and whatever else to really figure out that sustainable model of like how do we keep on helping neighbors like this and then through time once again hopefully all across america and all corners of corners of the country Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. And how like how many people are you helping right now? Can you can you give us a little bit of a of an overview of what you have been doing in the last year? Yeah. So where where you would like to take it in the, in the absolutely, future. absolutely. So you know, I would still call us in sort of proof of concept phase, but I'm really proud of what we've built out. You know, at this point, we're working with over 60 active partner nonprofits across 26 different states around the country. And then I think I need to update my numbers because it's now November. But you know, as of last count, we've helped over you know 2,500 neighbors in need across those states um, in those pivotal moments, as I described. So really, really proud of our progress so far. And then, um, you know, in terms of looking forward, um, you know, what we're working on is really sorting through the great. Now that we've figured out how to really um, disrupt the nonprofit space a little bit and sort of like really work through our model in a way such that nonprofits would be willing and able to work with us, right? Because like our model, if you think about it, is actually fairly disruptive to the to the way most nonprofits are structured, right? Where you fundraise centrally and then you um, and then you run your programs, and we're saying. We're not going to get you money to run your programs. We'd much more have you act as direct conduits to, to folks directly on the ground so that we can help get resources directly to them to help with a particular need that your program doesn't even cover. Now that we've figured that out, you know, where the board and I and the team and I are starting to turn our attention to, great, now that we've got one side of the nut figured out, how do we really also crack open the other side and sort of like what's the right sustainable model to make sure that we're um, basically plugging this needs engine right into the into the right sort of body so that you know we can get a great ongoing source of donations and resources right because it's of course not just about identifying the needs it's about also meeting them in a timely way so that we can you know hopefully close that close that loop for folks on the ground and, and get them the help that they need well and for you as a as a founder right now if you're looking at neighbor share like what what is the biggest challenge in the in the short term like in the next year what what are you guys really working on yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is the thing that I just described, right, which is sort of like now let's start working on the next big piece of our model mm-hmm. and sorting through sort of like what's the what's the best answer for that, right? And because we're so interested in using sort of like all the great brains and minds we have on the board and the volunteers 
care team and all those things, you know, I think our bar is really high, right? Like, I don't think we're necessarily satisfied with the, hey, let's just keep on helping 10 more neighbors at a time each month. It's more than yeah. like, no, like, what are the clever strategies we can really use to almost like leapfrog mm -hmm. our impact and build something really great? Um, and it's and it's sorting that through, right? Because it's sort of, and what I call it is sort of like, okay, how do we parallel process both our moonshot strategies, right? Like, how do we really leapfrog this and create really big impact? And at the same time, though, like, not lose sight of the fact that, hey, even if it's a brick by brick path, if we're helping 10 more neighbors each month, that's still 10 lives impacted, right? And so there's a little bit of like, how do you balance both? And then, you know, certainly one of the things I've discovered as a founder is that like, look, I'm like very impatient, right? Like you want to make impact fast and do, I tried all the experiments immediately and all those things. And so it's learning patience. It's learning smart prioritization. And then this was the thing that another founder of a nonprofit, she gave me this piece of advice that I love and like just have been holding with myself all year long. It's like, also learning to give time time right like sort of like sometimes it's not about as much as the like you know sometimes like you worked hard you've gotten like an idea onto the ether now you have to give time time like you have to let it marinate you have to let sort of like the rest of the community absorb it and whatever else and so there's sort of like it's almost like regardless of how much you want to push and whatever like you got to just you know it's almost like you've planted the seed you've watered it mm -hmm. now you just got to give it time to grow like stop fussing around it you dancing around it won't make it grow faster right and so it's also learning those pieces as well for myself well, thanks so much for sharing it. And Diana, I would love to know, like, since you started on this journey as a as a founder, um, in the beginning year of this conversation, you were also talking about we were talking about how you can build an organization from scratch, um, and also that for you, like, having a certain amount of confidence has been very pivotal in in the way that you started building this journey. Like, how did you start building that confidence to to really build something from scratch? How did you do that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll start first by saying, you know, because I've been reflecting a lot about this past year now that, you know, it's already November when you're in the year end or whatever. Like, I first wanted to comment that, you know, this, you know, this first experience, right? First time founder, first time CEO of a startup, all these things, first time running a nonprofit, lots of firsts. Like, I definitely just jumped into a realm that was new <laughs> from all sorts of angles for myself. You know, I would call it, it's been interesting. I was describing this to a friend recently. Like, it's been both, like, it's like such a dichotomy. It's been both such a, um confidence building year for me right to the things that you're saying right like wow like we built this great momentum and like once again none of this existed a year ago right and that's like so cool and like all the different new skills and new content and things i had to learn like very confidence building like i'm quite proud of myself in that way but at the same time wow like what a humbling experience right like you can always read about like the entrepreneurial grit or the whatever and like you know but wow to go through it um to really experience just how hard it is how lonely that journey can be sometimes. Like it's sort of like definitely created in me like a deep, deep respect for all the fellow entrepreneurs out there who are on this journey, who have been grinding through that journey. Cause like, man, it takes time. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes just so much almost sort of like just mental strength, right? The really high highs and then the really low lows and then like navigating through all of that. So I would both say um, it's been both, right? So like building confidence in what I'm capable of and then also very humbling in terms of the like, no, like all these, great ideas and great startups and great things that you see out there like wow that's like the result such just hard work and dedication and just like mental tenacity to be like i'm going to keep on taking this bet you know so that's sort of like one sort of overarching um reflection that i certainly have and you know and then on the like how did i get this started and whatever else like you know the thing that was interesting for me is that it was um it was confidence building because for me it was like such a good 
test and testament to sort of like all my previous experiences and like just almost like development and training I got in my previous roles, right? Where it's sort of like, you know, you can imagine one, one, um, one part of me going into this being like, oh man, like nonprofit space is really new, startup space is really new, I've never been a CEO before, all those things. But once I got going, I was like, wait a minute, like, I need to give myself credit. I know how to do a lot of things. I've been taught to build and run businesses and teams and all of that, right? And so it's sort of like, it was like, it was a bit of the, like, as soon as I just let all my like fears and like sort of um, insecurities, like just get them out of the way and just let instinct and experience take over on the like, hey, no, like it's sort of like not, not first time in the rodeo actually. And like going from that way, then I was able to really just sort of unleash and be like, you know what, like we can, we can go figure this out. And then in the new spots where I was like, hey, I don't have previous experience there and whatever else, just learning to really embrace not knowing sort of like, hey, this is cool white space. It's a completely new thing. Like just sort of like let go of your ego, right? And just say, hey, it's brand new. I don't know what I'm doing, but the thing I do know is I know how to learn and I know how to get in front of advisors and experts who do know. And so like in that sense, it also became really just freeing, right? Because it's okay if you don't know, because you've learned how to go know or how to go bring in people who know, right? And in that way, it becomes like, whoa, limitless. I can go achieve anything and crack any problem if I needed to, right? Yeah, I, I totally see what, what you mean as well, because in the first years of being an entrepreneur myself, when I, when I might made that leap from corporate to entrepreneurship, for me, it has also been like a roller coaster, right? Yeah. <laughs> like up, ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and in the end, like, you know, it's all about testing and experimenting and see what works and doubling down on, on what works, right? I think that's the most, most important. Um, and also what you said very, I think was, was also very important is that, you know, you've been working 15 years already and building up skills and, and, and in corporate, right. you've been leading teams and so on. So there's a, huge part of experience in there that you can also use as an entrepreneur so never like exactly. you never it's, start it's, out new right but you you already build up skills and so on to, to use it later on so yeah i think that's right it's, it's like a bit of like give yourself credit exactly. right like give yourself credit yeah. sort of like and take advantage of where your strengths are and then at the same time just being very frank with yourself on where you have the gaps and embrace those gaps. Like there's no need to be, you know, embarrassed by or shamed by or like be held back by the gaps. It's like acknowledge them because mm -hmm. then you can also just figure out a strategy using your other skills to go figure out then how to close that gaps, right? Sort of like it's like a constant, mm -hmm. constant sort of like um, process like that, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then what, what will be in your view, um, like for anybody who's starting out as a founder or an entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur, whatever it might be, a first step on their dream, like what would be like a kind of a first step they, they could take to really start and initiate, initi initiate those projects? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, like, just get going, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think the thing that like, you know, for me, like, once again, like, think about my background, right? Someone who'd been in the same company for 15 years, I would not normally call my, you know, like, I'm not like, I'm the serial entrepreneur, or like, I'm the biggest risk taker, except like, no, like, I was someone who was like, slow and steady building a career and all those things. So like, once again, I wouldn't have pointed myself as like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like, the thing that got me going on this, and the thing that really unlocked it for me was like, we just got going. It's almost like we didn't really overthink it. I love that. You know, yeah. like, if there's yeah. an idea that you care about, etc, like, just dip the toe in, right? I'm not saying quit your job and whatever, like, just dip your toe and start piling a little bit. Like, we yes. started out as like, purely nights and weekends, right? Like, 
like almost zero bet, like nights of the main bet we were making was our own time, right? We're doing some research, we're trying some stuff, we made some phone calls, all that. Just get going little by little. It doesn't need to become this big whatever, because I think that becomes really intimidating and it becomes like, oh, this big life decision, et cetera, versus like dip that toe in, start testing things out, and then you'll see, you'll, you'll pick up momentum and pick up excitement. It might point you in different directions and sort of like as you dip your toe in and as you do react, like, just keep your mind open to like, how does this feel? Do I like it? Do I not like it? What parts are scary? What parts aren't? And just be really reflective during that process because I feel like that's how you'll pick up momentum and that's how you'll figure out the next right steps for yourself, you know, post that toe dip in the water. So important, so important. Like, just start doing it right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's sort of like you can write as many decks and read as many books and whatever, but you're not going to know until you just get it going and like, you know, in like control bite-sized pieces, make it bite-sized for yourself, you know? Yeah. And I would love to ask you one last question. This is kind of pivotal of this podcast. Um, like, how did you find your purpose? Did you find that back in corporate already? Did you just found it now? Tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. I mean, quite frankly, to some extent, I feel like I'm still um, in an ongoing way finding it, right? Because I feel like one of the things that I've come to recognize um, is that, you know, we're constantly just evolving as, as humans, right? Evolving our values, evolving our thoughts about what, like what we care about and don't, um, you know, and I, what I think through sort of like pivotal moves I've made in both my career and my life, like when I became a mom, like all those things, like there's different things that shape, right? And so one of the things in just my process of finding purpose is also the like seeing it as an ongoing evolutionary process versus like a big bang one, right? Because it, it's sort of like, for me to declare like, oh, with neighborship, boom, I found it and it will forever be that thing. And it's only that thing, except I think that's like a little bit foolish, right? And a little bit yeah. also limiting in that way, right? And so, you know, I would say I have found different versions of purpose through life that compound upon each other. It's not like I like take one on and get rid of the other. It's much more that like, I feel like my, my own definition of purpose for myself has just broadened, enriched, become more and more complex as life itself becomes more complex. And I also, as I gain more perspective and, and experiences and different things really. Right. And so I've um, discovered a lot of purpose sort of in my corporate career as well. Right. Sort of like being a company owner there and building that and like loving being in the trenches with my community and my teens and, and doing all that. There's like a lot of purpose in that. And then in this neighbor share um, exercise, sort of like um, finding like a whole other part of my heart that yeah. I always like knew what's kind of there, except, but now I get really focused on it. Right. That like community oriented social impact, like, no, how do I go like hopefully help a person's life, like touch a life like today, right? In that really visceral way. Like I didn't even know I had so much of that in me, right? And so discovering that and being able to compound upon that, et cetera, like, you know, like no matter what happens in neighbor shares future as we grow and do different things, et cetera, as I evolve and like take on different roles and whatever, like I always know that that will now be part of my portfolio, right? And then, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll sort of like I discover another piece and another pie in the next few years. I hope so. Cause I feel like the more we like see that richer picture of our purpose and build it through time, the more just like enriching and rewarding life is, right? Right, right, right. And yeah. like what has been a pivotal moment for you to really start living it out? Because we all know that finding your purpose is one thing, but living it out is something else. And you just mentioned that as well, that, you know, while you were working on neighbor share, that you really felt like, oh, I didn't actually know that I had, I had this in me and I'm now yeah. doing this. So how did you start living your purpose? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to the thing we we're talking about earlier, like, I mm -hmm. just started doing it. You know, like, exactly. for years, like, in earlier on in my career, etc. I always said things like, oh, like, 
you know, I do want to make community impact. Like I just got to figure out the time to like volunteer or like, I got to figure out the right, like org to what it, and it was always just sort of like there, but like making sort of an excuse, right. Versus just start doing it. And then once again, like by the doing, it, I don't mean quit your job and do the full-time thing. Like I'm doing right now. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be that right. Like I finally just started taking small steps. Like I joined the board of, you know, the Connecticut food bank. And then I started jumping into this thing, et cetera. It's sort of like carve out the pieces and just get going like no excuses. <laughs> if you have an inkling that this is the thing that's going to satisfy you more, run those <laughs> week nights and weekends experiments, you know, like there's really no excuse. You can always find that time to watch a little bit less Netflix <laughs> and just like, you know, and try it out for a couple hours, you know, cause I think, once again, my realization is like bite-sized pieces, just run some experiments. You don't need to like make a big capital D declaration to the world of like, I shall now do this and pursue my purpose. No, like it's okay. Like it's great to be like, nope, this is my weekend project where I'm going to go do this once in a while and then see how you feel and see how you want to compound it, you know? Thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Diane. Um... You know, I would love to wrap up because I think that you said very cool and crucial things in this last couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, please, you know, let us know before you go what the best places are that people can find you and NeighborShare so that they can check out what you're doing um, with that awesome project. Oh, thank you so much. So yeah, look, please do come check out NeighborShare. We're at www.nbshare.org. And then I would certainly love to hear from anyone directly as well. You know, my email address is Diana, D-I-A-N-A at nbshare.org. Thank you so much for sharing that, Diana. Now, I wish you tons of energy, luck with, and a lot of luck with your, with your projects, especially for the future. I hope that you're going to help millions of people in America to get a better life and improve their lives and uh, keep rocking it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much for coming on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to this wonderful conversation with Diana Zhang. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you share this with a friend, a colleague, or somebody that you think could be inspired and energized by this episode as well. Of course, you can do that by simply sharing the link of this episode or you could share my website, dreambuilders.com slash podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe button right now on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And it would, of course, be awesome if you could leave a review as well about the part that you enjoyed the most. That would really, really help me. So once again, thank you all so much for listening and I see you back soon.